Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, both Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a symbol on the side of a football helmet. Detroit's NFL team. Alex Karras, Barry Sanders, Matthew Stafford, the Detroit Lions. It's the symbol for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer tilting its mane to the side and roaring as you settle back in your theater seat to watch one of their movies, the MGM Studios Lion. It's a curiosity pacing back and forth behind shatterproof glass at the zoo or behind bars or behind a moat that they've set up for an outdoor display. It's a curiosity on the National Geographic channel as it's stalking the wildebeest on the Serengeti plain and you're watching from the comfort of your couch. A symbol, a curiosity, certainly not a threat to your loved ones in you, yet if you put yourself in the Roman countryside in the first century AD when the Apostle Peter wrote this letter, then you're talking something else. Or if, if your home is in one of those distant provinces on the, on the coast of the Black Sea, and Peter's readers were living in those, promise, those, those provinces, then the lion is absolutely a real danger. It's roaming the countryside. Once in a while, they're spotted on the road. Don't go out by yourself when there's lions around. When you hear their howling roar, get yourself inside. Even if you're not hearing their roar, one of them might be sneaking up on you with those, those eyes that can hunt in the middle of the night, with that powerful front-loaded body that's clearly designed by God for hunting, with, with the jaws and, and the four inches, the, the four-inch canines. These are meant to be carnivores, and some of these carnivores have killed human beings. So when you do go out, when you have to go out, be wary, keep your wits about you, don't go alone. Take others with you with weapons in hand so that if a lion attacks, you can make your stand. I think we got to have that understanding of lions, of what it meant to those people at those days to have lions about, to really appreciate what Peter has written to us. The Lord's Apostle says, keep a clear head, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
The devil is not that funny little guy that sits on one shoulder arguing with the good guy on the other shoulder. That's not the devil. The devil is not little Billy looking all cute in his red sweatshirt and his red pants as he goes out for Halloween with the horns and the tail and the pitchfork in one hand. That's not the devil. The devil is your worst enemy. The worst one that you have by far. And his aim is to devour you. And if not you, then someone you love. And if not someone you love, then somebody else, always someone, always someone, always prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. You open your Bible to the very third chapter, Genesis chapter 3, and there he is, deceiving our first parents. You open your, your, your New Testament to the fourth chapter in the New Testament, and there he is again, trying to deceive our Savior. Whichever major part of the scriptures you open to, the Holy Spirit's message is the devil is real and you've got to be wary of him because intent, his intent is purely evil. Jesus said that the devil, after the word is planted in some people's hearts, the devil takes the word away so that they don't believe and are saved. Jesus says that the devil prompted Judas to betray him. Jesus says that the devil is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he's speaking his native language. Jesus' apostles say, the devil leads the whole world astray. And they don't even know it. Because Jesus' apostles also say that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. And Jesus' apostles say that those who are not following their only Savior, Jesus, are ultimately following the devil, who's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So what does that mean for you? It means that when you tell somebody the truth about God, about Jesus, about God's justice and love that come together in Jesus, and they speak to you as if you were some simpleton, that's the devil prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If not you, then them. It means that when you tell someone, urge them, in fact, to just listen to the word of God. Just listen to it. And they treat you as if you have disrespected them and insulted their intelligence. That's the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. It means that when somebody is offended by your Christian con confession, 
when they're angry, when you say one of the most outrageous statements Jesus said, that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life, when they're offended by that, that's the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. It means that when, whenever Christians who are faithful are portrayed in the worst possible light, whenever those who love their family and share the word with their family are hated by their family for it. That's the devil. Prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The apostle puts that warning before us not so that we become discouraged and we, we go, oh, woe is me and I'm the only one. In fact, he points out we're not the only ones that suffer such pushback from the world, from the devil. He says, the devil prowls around, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. How's your knowledge of Christian history, church history? Maybe you've come to understand that whenever Christians try to become comfortable in confessing Christ to the world, then the truth gets replaced by half-truths. Whenever God's people try to fit in with false teachers, then they become false teachers themselves. Christians do. Whenever Christians boldly confess, then... There's going to be persecution. The Apostle Peter writes this bold confession of faith. It's called 1 Peter. And he writes about the hope that we have in the resurrection and the hope that we have in the word of the Lord that endures forever and the hope that we have even in the midst of our sufferings. And then he suffers himself about two or three years after he writes this. He's executed, crucified, upside down by the Roman Emperor Nero. Church history. Church history, at least four other apostles were crucified. The rest, with the exception possibly of one, were put to death by other gruesome means. Church history nowadays, maybe not so much in this nation currently, but in Africa and in Asia, Christians are arrested for owning a Bible. They're, they're jailed for evangelizing in their community. They're, 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 they're put to death for preaching about Christ. They're exiled from their country for, for saying that outrageous statement that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Got to want to understand one more thing about Christian history, that those who stand firm in their confession are never able to do it alone, never alone, always with others who can encourage them and pray for them and help them and give them counsel from the Word of God. Today we're celebrating the Reformation. You gotta understand that Luther did not act alone. He's often portrayed that way, that he was the lone university professor and monk who stood his ground before the emperor and, and, and German princes and church authorities, Luther was not alone. He had a whole army of fellow confessors supporting him. 
after he made his, his, his great confession at a place called Worms in 1521, his friends, his fellow confessors, rescued him and hid him away in the Wartburg Castle. And then while he was translating the Bible into the language that his German people could understand, they were helping him, they were assisting him in his Bible translation. In 1530, the, the, the great Augsburg Confession was, was composed. You've you got to understand this, that at a time when the emperor said, I want to see what you believe in writing, Luther and two others composed the first draft. Twelve theologians provided input. Almost ten princes immediately signed it. Churches in major communities and cities endorsed it. And then they stood before the emperor and they read the Augsburg Confession aloud. It took them two hours to read it. Articles of faith about the triune God, about the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, about the, 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 the nature of humanity and the fall into sin, about, about grace, about baptism, about the Lord's Supper, confessing the faith together, not just Luther, but standing firm together, knowing, knowing that for the next several decades they would be under attack for the confession that they made. Speaking of the Lord's Supper, do you know this from Bible truth, that when you come forward for the Lord's Supper, you're making a confession together. The Apostle Paul, his letter to the Corinthians, reviewed Christian doctrine, and then when he arrived at the teaching about Holy Communion, he, he wrote, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. That's not you singular, that's you plural. That's you standing together with other confessors, saying, by God's grace, Jesus died on the cross to atone for the sins of the whole world. And by God's grace, he gives us together, not just bread and wine, but his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. And by God's grace, all of his promises have been fulfilled. And by God's grace, we can confess together one body of believers, including this, that he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he will judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. You know that when you make a public confession of Christ at the altar, that there will be those that criticize that, that will say things like, what, you think you have a monopoly on the truth? That will say things like, why can you be so intolerant that you will not compromise to other teachings that are not so easily supported from the Bible? People will criticize the practice of the Lord's Supper, where people together say, we don't just believe this little bit about Jesus together, we believe the whole thing 
and confess it together. But that goes along with confessing Christ, that throughout the world, believers will suffer all sorts of troubles until Christ comes again. A few weeks ago, I was standing in a backyard with a couple that I had just met. The wife said to me, she said, so you're from a Lutheran church. Never been to a Lutheran church. Give me a short synopsis. I initially am thinking, all right, I got this. So I follow the outline of the three Lutheran solas or alones, and I say, well, we, we believe and say that all of us are born in sin and, and face the wrath of God for what we've done, and yet we're saved by God's grace alone. What Jesus did is a gift, the first alone. And then I say, we believe and say that this gift is ours through faith alone, and, and not confirmed or, 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 or finished by the things that we've done or deserved. It's, it's simply through faith alone, the second alone. And, and then I get the third alone in there, and I say, and we believe and say that God's truth is proclaimed in Scripture alone, not in human tradition, not in human reason, not in popular culture, not even in popular Christian culture, but it's proclaimed in Scripture alone. And I'm thinking I like my answer until I get to that last one. Because I realize, how can you give a short synopsis of Scripture? The Bible is 66 books. It's, it's over 1,200 chapters. It's over 23,000 verses. The Lord has given us something that as we go to that alone for what we believe and want to say, we've got a lifetime of study so that we might from this angle and that angle and that point in history and that point in history and from this writer of God and that writer of God and that writer of God have the Lord strengthening us from his word in every place and way. Scripture alone. Because the Lord does strengthen us, right? You make this public confession at the altar, and you know the words that follow? That the pastor will say maybe 20 times in that distribution of the sacrament? He'll say, the true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will strengthen you and keep you in the true faith and to life everlasting. It's very much like Peter's words that he writes. Peter writes, And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, there's bad news. The devil's your enemy. Mine too. He's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour with his lies. Yes, there's more bad news. 
that God's plan for you as you confess the Christian faith is not that you become comfortable, but that, in fact, the more you speak it, the more you realize people are going to criticize, ostracize, somehow push me away for what I've said. And yet, God keeps his promise for eternity that after you've suffered a little while, and even as you are suffering, he strengthens you, he confirms you, he makes you steadfast and strong, praising him because to him belongs the power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The gold ring for eternal life. Amen.